Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 169. This week, we talked with Dominic Torno about how SAP used Azure for an internal application built on top of an event-driven architecture using Service Bus, Azure Functions, Stream Analytics, and much more. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week we have Dominic Torno, Director of Engineering in SAP's Product and Innovation Organization. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Mm -hmm. And we have my good friend, Prashant Kabari. How's it going? Hello. Good. How are you, Jason? Good. So, obviously, this looks a little different. We're we're like floating in the abyss or something here. I don't I don't know where we're at. We're we're nowhere. <laughs> it's actually in the in the Channel Nine building, um, and Carl is obviously absent in this episode, so we've replaced him with uh, with Prashant. So welcome, Stand in for Prashant. Carl. <laughs> so, um, if you have any insults for this episode, you can direct them at Prashant instead of Carl. I'll express them to Carl. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. So we're going to skip all the normal episode formalities. We thought we'd do something a little bit different this episode, and this was actually all Prashant's idea. But what we want to do is is deep dive into uh, a scenario with a real Azure customer and what is actually being built on top of Azure. So I thought that was a great idea to, to really deep dive and we'll explore that and see what it's like. Because normally we cover a lot of topics around different products and things like that. But this is actual real world software that, that we, just, we just want to dive in and talk about it. So I guess what we should do first is we should talk about uh, SAP first. Like what is SAP? Well, the short introduction is uh, SAP is a leading provider of uh, enterprise applications. Mm -hmm. And SAP is a uh, global uh, company represented uh, all over the world. Mm -hmm. And I am part of the SAP tools team that provides applications for um, SAP's internal use cases. So mm -hmm. not for SAP's customer, but SAP is our customer. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So you're, you're building some cool stuff there. Um, so I guess the first thing that we should dive into is the thing that we're talking about today, which is MailWave. So what is MailWave? So MailWave is an application to track the engagement of the readers of SAP's internal mm -hmm. newsletters. So basically MailWave tracks the open and the click rates of the recipients to give uh, feedback to the communication teams. Okay. And up to date, MailWave had about uh, 95,000 users uh, served and 1.5 million clicks. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's got to be pretty neat watching you know, that much data flow through the system. So how big is the actual team that worked on MailWave? So MailWave is uh, architected, developed, and operated by, I want to say, two and a half. That is two full-time uh, employees, myself and my colleague. And at any given time, we also have a software intern on board. Okay. So one of you is a PM and one is a tester? No. <laughs> no. So I assume both of you are, are basically devs then, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. All of us are hands-on, including the interns. Our interns ship code. Okay. Well, that's very cool. Um, so I guess the, the, the next logical question is, like, why, why Azure? Like, why, why was this even a thought? 
Well, SAP uses the Microsoft Exchange infrastructure as a backbone for our email uh, infrastructure mm -hmm. and uh, is also a long-standing customer of Active Directory. And with uh, Azure's Active Directory and the Azure Microsoft uh, Graph integrating into the on-premise on systems uh, out of the box, that mm -hmm. made Act, uh, Azure a uh, natural choice uh, for a technology provider. Okay. So you have a, basically a long-standing relationship with Microsoft. Long-standing. Obviously, whenever you live in that ecosystem, it's you know favorable to to use a lot of the same pieces. Then I assume that is correct. Okay, so, very so cool. you mentioned the team of two and a half, right? Approximately. So how long was the, the total time, and what is the experience getting them onto Azure? Did they know Azure before? What is the in a ramp of time and experience? Uh, so no, none of us actually had any hands-on experience okay. with um, Azure before. So I want to say the ramp up time was, well, that depends on how you um, define ramp up time, but definitely the decision was uh, made after a short exploration of the Azure services within a few days. Yeah. The actual development time until we reached version one was, I do believe, about two and a half to three months yeah. until we released the first version of wow. the application. That's pretty quick. And that's end-to-end. -end, uh, <laughs> that is end-to-end. The first end. version. That is the uh, okay. first version end-to-end. -end. That is the uh, master data, the analytics, inbound and outbound pipelines, correct? Also fully integrated into Azure Active Directory. Yes. What we should dive into now is obviously the architecture. So why don't you start walking us through that? Because I know we talked about it a little bit at lunch, and I think we should... I, I just found it like super interesting, like how many services you actually integrated in. And what we'll do is we'll, uh, through the power of technology, we're actually going to pull up an architecture diagram here. And now uh, you want to walk us through the architecture? All right. Maybe zoom in as you walk through it. Let me see how I do that. Not like that. Yeah, while you do that, I can also talk about what uh, services and features you used and uh, what are the specific... There uh, uh, oh, there you go. Perfect. Okay, so we're starting at the top left. So the application itself is uh, composed of um, mainly, uh, I want to say, four parts. Mm -hmm. We have the inbound pipeline, the producer pipeline, is where the authors of a MailWave uh, or of a newsletter mm -hmm. send that newsletter to MailWave. We have the uh, consumer pipeline where the recipients uh, open uh, newsletters and click on newsletters. We have the core pipeline that is responsible for managing the master data. We have the um, analytics pipeline that will give you uh, real-time statistics mm -hmm. about uh, the um, uh, campaign. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also do have uh, pluggable backends for the delivery of newsletter, like for example, external via providers like SendGrid, internal via uh, Microsoft uh, Graph API, or also the EWS API. Okay. And then at lunch, you were talking about um, a heavy dependence on Azure Functions. So how does how do Azure Functions play into this? That is correct. So the entire application is made up of uh, Azure Functions. Mm -hmm. And uh, what that boils down to is that at any point, we do not use any compute resources unless the application is actually computing something. And uh, the Azure Functions provide all uh, functionality of um, Inbound, uh, uh, inbound and outbound processing, mm -hmm. as well as master data movement. Most of the application uh, react to um, 
messages on the on the Azure Service Bus queue. Mm -hmm. But also some of them are bound to uh, blob storages or to the um, uh, table storage and um, uh, Cosmos DB. Correct. Okay. So so I, I got to think that like the main source of events in the system is people clicking on a link in an email, right? Because the purpose is to understand like what's actually getting traction and what people are, you know, like like where are they at, the information that they're actually interested in, right? Correct. So to me, is, so is that right, that that is the, the primary input into the system is all of those clicks? I mean, whenever you send something out, there must be like tens of thousands or, you know, tens of thousands of clicks, like pretty quickly, I would assume. That is correct. So the, uh, the first and uh, strongest response is definitely the open event. Mm -hmm. Right, as soon as uh, Outlook uh, displays one of the emails. Mm -hmm. um, so the, this is open for the end user or the consumer of that mail? The consumer campaign. of the mail. Right. Also, correct. when they just yeah. even opening the email. Just even opening yeah, the email. Oh, email okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so, you get, so you get this flood of initial events. Immediately. Yeah, so those signals then, that, that's going into an Azure function? That is correct. So okay. Azure Function in that case provides a tracking pixel. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the tracking pixel is retrieved by the Outlook um, client, mm -hmm. we uh, grab that event, um, put it on a service bus first mm -hmm. in order for further processing. So for example, we take uh, geo information based on the uh, IP addresses and also mix in some information about the newsletter that we have in our backend systems. And once the event is enriched, it is going to be recorded on the Azure Event Hub. Mm -hmm. And from the Event Hub, it is being processed by Azure Analytics streaming jobs. So what kind mm -hmm. of information are you tracking? Do you know how long the user has been in that email or anything like that? Or? Unfortunately, that is actually not possible. Okay. We cannot track that. And uh, since we also do not use individual tracking codes per user, okay. but individual tracking codes per newsletter only, we need to use some heuristics to actually um, guess if a user opens an email twice, opens okay, an email or a different email. Times, okay, that is correct. All right, but you could track it on an individual basis, right? Because every time, every time you send an email newsletter, or are you sending it to a whole group at one time? Because if you're sending an individual one, you could customize that little tracking pixel, right? We actually... The link uh, in there can be specific to mm -hmm. the user, yeah. Correct. The link in there could be specific to the user, but it was a conscious decision uh, not to in order to respect people's privacy. Okay. But technically, that's absolutely feasible. Yeah, because you're really just trying to get broad analytics, like what are people interested in? Is, that was, is correct. Was, was this whole email just a waste of time? Uh, that is correct. Which, that had, the data must be a little depressing in some cases. <laughs> well, also correct. But whether you have, whether you have 8,000 open... Uh, events or 8,100 on mm -hmm. an email that targets 90,000 uh, people does not really matter as right. long as you know you are in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to like say like, did Prashant read that email that I sent out? Like I just, the whole thing, I sent it to the whole company just so he would get it. Well, it'll be good to know <laughs> that if the same person opening the email multiple times or it's like a unique event that's occurring. We use actually some uh, heuristics okay. and uh, also some meta information that we can uh, figure out. To Exactly. That without getting the privacy grab. information. Correct. And okay. we can safely grab without violating the mm. user's privacy okay. to have a good idea if Prashant clicked twice or if Somebody Jason else. clicked once and Prashant mm -hmm. clicked once. It's almost like a cookie at that point, right? Right. Similar. Yeah. Correct. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create open 
edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit Aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial, and if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. And remember, if you are a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Expose.net, a powerful toolkit for working with Word documents in your applications. Right. And Except you're talking about there were like how many users at one time for a specific event, like 90-some thousand or what uh, is the maximum? Yes, that is correct. We okay. have everything from very small newsletters that are being handled to very large ones okay. up to 90, 95,000 users. It is, was that the expectation to begin with? Did you actually have to design for that or was that uh, kind of just happened? Uh, you know, that is actually um, a fair question. And I want to say that, uh, of course, we do uh, plan for it because okay. we do know about uh, the uh, size of SAP as a whole. So mm -hmm. any SAP employee is sure. a potential user. But uh, on the other side, once you commit to an architecture that is based on Azure functions, mm -hmm. um, that scale is not that much of an issue as okay. compute resources are allocated dynamically anyways. Okay. Any specific challenges in that? Uh, or Yes. Is, okay. Many challenges. About, all right. Let's Many talk challenges. About um, <laughs> Good to know. Specific Azure functions, or, or are we talking in, in, in general the scaling? Are if anything specific that you came across? Well, maybe we should just start with Azure functions. Though. Like, sure. did you did you run into challenges with Azure functions themselves? Uh, with Azure functions themselves, uh, no, we did not okay. run into any uh, challenges with the technology. The okay. technology was reliable, and it is also very convenient. I just love Azure functions, by the way. <laughs> Same here. Prashant knows too. I was coming to buy. I love, love it too, but you know. It's it's coming from inside versus somebody <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah, our opinion it. doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, I love the bindings. Yeah. All right. The Azure function bindings, uh, this is my favorite because yeah. it makes it just so convenient. Mm -hmm. And um, this is uh, also. Um, Actually, this is what got me started with Azure Functions. As soon as I saw the bindings, uh, declarative bindings to end uh, data stores, mm -hmm. I was like, all right, yeah, no more boilerplate of loading uh, table rows and blobs, <laughs> files. Yeah. Great. So, but uh, definitely an architecture like that prevent, uh, presents uh, many challenges because mm -hmm. we are talking about uh, microservices to the maximum, or mm -hmm. as you said at lunch, to the minimum, depending on how you yep. look at it. <laughs> Absolutely true. And um, if you think about like where we are coming from, right, from way, way back, where we are talking about um, serial execution, right? So we have one statement being executed after the other. Mm -hmm. Then we added concurrency. Okay. With adding concurrency to our applications, we added non-determinism. Mm -hmm. right? We do not know does this line run before that line or the other way around. Depends on the execution. And then after concurrency, we added distribution. And with distribution, we add the potential of partial failure. This component is up, but this component went down. Mm -hmm. right? And um, with uh, Azure Functions being uh, created on the spot mm -hmm. as requests come in, right? 
um, there is this is uh, as distributed as it actually gets, mm -hmm. and the components are completely even individual executions of the functions are completely isolated. Mm -hmm. Right? They do not share any state. They do not share a common understanding of the mm -hmm. system. So yes, that actually presents a lot of challenges. Yeah, this is great because Prashant and I we talk about that in theoretical terms all the time, right? We're just like, yeah, functions is this magical solution mm -hmm. to this problem. Um, so it's great to hear about a real-world example where it's like, hey, we just threw our code out there and it just works. I mean, it is, it really is like, you know, uh, kind and of I a think especially your point about bindings, because if you write your own bindings, mm -hmm. it's not just the code, but also the testing you have to do with mm -hmm. that. And here, the only testing you have to worry about or even writing the code is just the business part, which is what I like. But again, I would like to see your opinion or was that one of the features that you're looking for or what is the attractive things about functions as opposed to Anything else? You know, so my uh, background, where I, or the area where I do like to venture in, is actually also functional programming, and I'm a huge mm -hmm. fan of uh, F Sharp mm -hmm. as a language. And uh, as most uh, functional developers will tell you, they appreciate being able to um, control side effects and to reason mm -hmm. about their code, mm -hmm. right? So side effect free code uh, or referentially transparent code is actually a, um, a desirable goal for the functional programming. Now, if you look at Azure Functions with the bindings of Azure Functions, you actually have a uh, almost referentially transparent execution, right? Same input arguments in, mm -hmm. same output arguments out. I'm sorry, same return value out. Right? Because the actual binding, reading from the persistence mm -hmm. and then writing from the persistence is uh, done by the environment, by the Azure function themselves. Okay. This actually does lend Azure functions to be uh, very testable because um, the arguments uh, of the function are available on call mm -hmm. right? and the return value will be processed once it is returned and the function itself Referential, transparent, almost no side effects. So that one I do like in uh, Azure Functions a lot. Okay. Um, other things is uh, that uh, Azure Functions do uh, integrate into most of the uh, services that Azure offers. We, we talked about blob storages, right? We talked about event hubs, mm -hmm. uh, also the service queues. Mm -hmm. And the service queues are actually um, a powerful technology if you want to create uh, resilient and uh, also elastic applications. Yeah, so just to be clear, there's a there's a couple different types of queues. So it's a service bus queue. Mm -hmm. It's a service. Okay, bus I just queue. want to make sure we're talking about the same. It's not the storage queue. It's a service bus queue. Right, right. <laughs> and I want to make sure too we weren't talking about event hubs yet. Correct. Okay. Yes. So the service bus queues are basically the. Um, Underlying, so underlying plumbing for most of our applications, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, I'm sorry, for most of our functions. Mm -hmm. So, the functions are uh, connected uh, fully in an asynchronous manner, right? Via the Azure uh, service bus. Okay. Also, the service bus does give you some additional benefits, for example, a automatic retry, right? Also, you right. don't have to don't take succeed, care right. about that. Correct. Mm -hmm. right. It doesn't, doesn't. Yeah, it seems like once when the, when the event comes into the Azure function, there is a little bit of risk there. If that function were to crash, you're going to lose that event. I'm guessing that's pretty rare. So we can probably assume that risk for, for a click. 
Um, once it's handed off to Service Bus, then like you know it's safe, right? Then it's like okay, I'm good to go. Now I'm now I can sort of keep it safety throughout the rest of the system. That is a built-in That's feature, right? right? If the function doesn't succeed, it stays in the queue till you actually process it from the queue. Oh. Well, you guys need to know better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good to learn something today. But I do believe that it is actually an, uh, an feature inherent to a service bus. As long as the message, uh, the delivery of the message is not acknowledged, mm -hmm. the service right. bus will, after a certain timeout period, or if a exception is thrown, will re-deliver the message. Exactly. And uh, Azure functions are uh, seamlessly integrated into that uh, into that mechanism, so also you do not have to worry about it. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So let's go to the next step then. Um, so it goes in the service bus queue. And then I believe next it goes in the stream analytics. Is that correct? That depends on what part of the system okay. we're talking about. But yes, for the for the uh, inbound, um, I'm sorry, for the for the uh, inbound uh, consumer producer producer consumer <laughs> consumer pipeline uh, for the inbound clicks, correct? Okay, um, that is correct. So the uh, message uh, goes through a few. Um, Azure functions um, uh, plumbed together via the service bus queues mm -hmm. and then goes into the event hub. That is correct. Okay. Um, so it goes to event hub and yeah. stream analytics. Exactly. From okay. event hub, it is consumed by streaming analytics. Okay. In streaming analytics, we um, apply the uh, aggregates, which basically also means you have to specify a time window, right? So we do uh, timed uh, analysis okay. of depending. On the on the individual query, sometimes on time windows of thirty seconds, sometimes on time windows of ten minutes. So, what kind of aggregates are you trying to get in that time window? Uh, anything from um, basic statistics like how many opens uh, or how many clicks on an individual newsletter, mm. how many opens, how many clicks on an individual uh, link, but also okay. aggregates on um, how many opens were in a certain region in the world. Mm. So instead of storing everything to like this table, like every single click, you're basically aggregating some of that to make that easier. That is correct. We're okay. aggregating. That's a good idea. We're aggregating on the fly with the time window now. Yeah. And if you think about it, um, eventually, so a lot of these uh, real-time scenarios, whether it's now web stream click analysis or whether it's IoT um, devices, mm -hmm. they have a very um, conflicting nature in themselves, right? On the one side, you have a constant stream of data coming in, and on the other side, you usually want to run some analytics on that. You mm -hmm. rarely look at, a, at an individual uh, sensor or at an individual click. You want to run analytics. Now, you have very heavy uh, write load, and you have uh, heavy read load, and no database actually likes that very much. So with um, technologies like the streaming analytics, you um, have a window that actually acts as a buffer, right? Mm -hmm. So in real time, you can work on uh, high input, um, uh, high input data streams, uh, buffer it, mm -hmm. aggregate just this buffer, and then move uh, the uh, result of the or the um, the partial result right. of the analytics in one go into a secondary um, data store, like for example. SQL Server, that mm -hmm. is what, or SQL uh, database, that is what we used for uh, MailWave. So once the uh, time window uh, completes, we uh, write the result of the analysis mm -hmm. onto a message bus. Mm -hmm. From there, once again, good old Azure function, bound to it, 
takes a result, writes one SQL Server batch uh, uh, insert and insert into uh, SQL Server. This way we actually have an upper bound of how much load, how much write load we have on our database and are basically handled. So your, your, your process handle. looks like you have some functions with the, the queue followed by event uh, functions, event hub, stream analytics, some more queues, and then the data store. One Correct. more function, data store. Okay. Correct. And so, so what are the, the functions you have at the beginning, right? You didn't ingest directly into event hub, the events coming in. Correct? So, so the events that were generated, they don't go straight into event hub. You have some function processing before that. We have some function processing before that. That okay. is correct because um, streaming analytics do not allow for arbitrary side effects. Okay. So I cannot use a streaming analytics job to, for example, run an HTTP query uh, called some REST API, right, to get uh, oh, okay. additional data uh, to augment the raw event. So oh, okay. since we uh, we ask for geo information about that IP address you, and uh, yeah, I guess you could use the the UDFs now. Maybe that uh, the UDFs um, are um, powerful, which we actually also do use okay. in order to uh, generate a fingerprint. Well, for we should our explain messages. what that is. Yeah, so the user defined <laughs> functions. It's uh, maybe a relatively new feature mm -hmm. in Stream Analytics where you can read your own JavaScript functions and. Pretty much do what you can do in JavaScript and enhance mm -hmm. the information coming in if, if, if necessary. Mm -hmm. But once again, you guys need to know better than I do. But I do. Good believe. learning session today. Hey, your solution works. So we and can't really argue with that. We can sit here and get as hey, theoretical you. as we want. But at the end of the day, like your solution works, and that's the proof. And I do believe that UDF you cannot call HTTP. I did try. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. But uh, we do use it for fingerprinting. That is basically to see if one event uh, is most likely to belong to the same person okay. or two different persons. Okay. okay. That's very cool. Um, so was that the end of the... So that sounds like that's the end of that click pipeline, right? Because mm -hmm. now we have the data stored. Correct. Um, and then we can, we can report on it. Correct. Um, so which one should we talk about next? Because I... What is, what, is inter what is the next most interesting one from your standpoint? Because I think the click stream is the most important. I, what do you think? Um, definitely for the end user is the most yeah. important because this is where we actually add end user value. Right. Uh, one that I actually like very much is uh, handling of our master data mm -hmm. because also that happens in uh, Azure Functions. Okay. And uh, it follows an event uh, sourced model and a CQRS command query uh, responsibility segregation mm -hmm. uh, model flow. And um, we use the Cosmos DB as a, um, a data store for our event stream. Mm -hmm. So we have, uh, maybe we can show the architecture diagram. Sure. I have the power. Oh, no. Hold on. Hold on. You do have power, but you... <laughs> I, I, do not I thought I had the power. Wait, <laughs> uh, wait, I'm charging up. There we go. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> no, no, we got the power back. Okay, here we go. So aggregates, uh, like, for example, a newsletter, mm -hmm. right, um, are also implemented as uh, Azure Functions, and we store individual events instead of a um, final state. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in classical applications, you um, move the uh, state n to state n plus 1 and then save state n plus 1 in the data store, mm -hmm. uh, replacing state n. 
So we decided for our application not to uh, uh, only save the state of each um, operation, but actually save the event that led to this state. Okay. And uh, we recreate the event uh, I'm sorry, we recreate the state of any aggregate, which is basically any object like a... So what is, what is kicking off this whole process? What is the actual event that happens? So the actual event that happens is, for example, so here a command comes in. The mm -hmm. command, uh, let's call it create newsletter. Mm -hmm. So the command create newsletter comes in, mm -hmm. is then validated, and uh, in case the validation checks out, an event is raised, um, newsletter created. Okay. Then this event is um, saved to the uh, event stream mm -hmm. uh, and uh, persisted in Azure Event Store. I'm sorry, in Azure uh, Cosmos DB. And also put on a uh, message queue for further processing, uh, which we have event handlers in the... Um, in the aggregate, these event handlers update the read model. Mm -hmm. So, for example, after you process the command uh, newsletter created, and it gets transformed in the event, I'm sorry, create newsletter gets transformed in the event newsletter created, okay. then the read model updaters will make sure that there is a row in the database uh, reflecting that um, newsletter. Okay. Now, the next command comes in that may be something like deliver newsletter. Mm -hmm. Um, that command again is validated. The um, event uh, newsletter delivered is being raised. Um, the state of the aggregate is recreated by reapplying the entire history of the event. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the event uh, handlers are going to update the read model again, uh, moving the uh, newsletter from the created state into the delivered state and then also the delivery pipeline is kicked off. Okay. So earlier you mentioned you use SQL database, and in this case you're using uh, Cosmos DB. Correct. So why are there two different database technologies? Eh? Well, for Cosmos DB, um, so each event has a different uh, payload, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on uh, what you're about to do, whether you are creating a newsletter, whether you're delivering it, maybe you have to deal with uh, timeouts, updates, all of these events uh, carry uh, different information, mm -hmm. right? Now, Cosmos DB, uh, one of the storage engines being a document DB, is very flexible on the contents of the newsletter. Uh, I'm sorry, on the contents of the event stream, right? So we are basically using uh, Cosmos DB here as a document store, and we store a, a array from previous events, and the arrays uh, and the events in the array, they do not share a common schema. They're just chasing Okay, events. well, that makes a lot of sense then. So I'm curious then if you, uh, so which interface are you using? Are you using the document DB interface to Cosmos, or are you using the MongoDB interface? Document DB. Okay, yes, we and are that's using what, the I was just curious. Okay, so yeah, and it's interesting because you have the whole history of the events that have come in. That is correct. And what are you using it for? I mean, to have that whole history chain, what do you do with that entire so, chain? So the the history, of course, gives you on the one side uh, auditability. Okay. That is a hard word for a German. <laughs> auditability. Yeah. Just tell me I said that correctly. Yeah, you, you said it correctly. Wonderful, thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, on the other side also uh, enables you to uh, deal with um, situations 
like for example conflicting messages timeouts because okay. from the event stream you can recreate uh, the the current state of the system okay. and remember with the microservices we did add concurrency and we did add distribution now in a um, in a uh, linear execution right the actual state of any program sometimes object is uh, represented by the program counter right I'm on this line, I'm on this line, I'm mm -hmm. on this line. Now, in concurrent uh, situations, in distributed situations, that goes away. So you have to actually handle your state machine yourself. This is what we are doing and the events. So the sequence is coming randomly and you need to put that together. That is correct. And it's auditability. Somebody made a request and you need to know why it didn't happen or where it broke. That's, that's the whole idea of auditability. That is also correct. Okay. Uh, and um, we actually do have uh, plans to uh, implement uh, fallback uh, mechanisms. Let's talk about failure a little bit mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's one of, my, one of my favorite topics because it's uh, very hard to actually tackle. So in distributed systems, right, um, you have the callee, you have the caller, mm -hmm. and it is very hard to determine did a, from the caller's point of view, did a message not get delivered? Did the callee crash randomly or okay. did a response not uh, arrive mm -hmm. the caller? Right? So in this situation, you actually do not know has any command taken effect, right? Okay. Has my email be delivered, for example? And uh, in these situations, what's usually done is uh, you add a timeout. Right. Now, Azure Functions, they react to events, right? You have the Azure Function trigger. Every binding has one trigger. Mm -hmm. They react to events. Mm -hmm. um, however, basically by definition, the functions do not act to the absence of events. Right? So in that case, uh, what we did is we used a feature of the service bus and um, scheduled a message for the future. Okay. So just before we actually schedule the message to process a work item, like for example, send an email, before that we already schedule send us mm -hmm. the notification to check for a timeout. So yeah. expecting something to happen in the future. Yeah. Double check on that. Okay. And we talked about that at lunch too. I, I didn't even realize that you could send a future message in Service Bus. And that was totally new to me. It's actually just one key setting. Yeah. That was in a snap. <laughs> So from, uh, from there on, um, we do expect a, a delivery confirmation. Our service is built in a way so that it eventually confirms mm -hmm. that you got the message uh, or you delivered the email. However, eventually that message that we scheduled for the future right, will fire. Mm -hmm. And then we come back to our full event stream right, and check, well, did we get in any of these events did we get the confirmation for the message? Okay. If we did, we we're all good. All right. mm -hmm. If we did not, then we need to raise an event that signals some failure. Yes. Some failure. Yeah. A timeout occurred. We don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. Also an interesting um, point, we don't know what happened. Right? Did the email go out mm -hmm. or did the email not go out? Mm -hmm. We actually have no way of knowing. Right. And uh, the um, service level uh, agreements of the service bus uh, say that 
once the message is accepted by mm -hmm. the service queue, the message will be delivered. Right. Maybe delivered at, more than yeah, once. At least once delivery. At least once delivery. Mm -hmm. Correct. So this is the first one that may actually come around and haunt us. Right. <laughs> then we have timeouts. Mm -hmm. They may come around and haunt us because once a timeout occurred, well, did the service fail before or after sending an email? Mm -hmm. Tricky, right? So in certain situations where you have idempotent operations, doesn't really matter. Just do the whole thing again, mm -hmm. right? Um, insert in a database, usually tricky. Um, update in a database, also tricky. Upsert, idempotent. Just try again right. and again and again. Right. Sending an email, not that much. And especially if you have 90,000. Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, people don't like getting a lot of emails that are the same thing. <laughs> and I don't like getting a lot they'll of angry start, phone calls. Yeah, they're going to put you in the spam start. folder after that. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, they're, gonna, they're all going to start replying like, why did you send this twice? And they're just going to make the problem worse or it'll be a reply all night. Reply all, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we know a little bit about that at Microsoft. <laughs> and I'm going to get the calls. You guys know it. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. So, so interesting. So you have the option of showing the, the creator of the newsletter the entire history, possibly almost like the Domino's Pizza, right? You ordered the pizza and yeah, so it's in the great. oven. <laughs> wow, the newsletter is being created, it's being sent, or you know, things Your like newsletter's that. newsletter's in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like being in the oven. No, you're it's right. Yeah, that's right. It's cooking, yeah. it's being delivered. No, that's a good analogy. And it's actually correct, and it is part of okay. uh, our user experience and okay. of our UI. Wow, that's yes. nice. Um, now, one of the uh, one of the um, features of Azure we use to, for example, guard uh, ourselves from sending multiple uh, emails mm -hmm. is the blob storage uh, check and set operation. So um, before we send an email. Mm -hmm. We uh, guard the operation with a check and set, which basically means uh, we create a uh, blob in the blob storage only if the e-tag has not been set. That is a guaranteed okay. atomic operation. And the Azure blob storage will then make sure that only one of the uh, concurrent components in the system will ever attempt to send the email. Now with that, we scale it down from um, at most once no, I'm sorry, from at least once to at most yeah. once. Unfortunately, with arbitrary side effects, you can never guarantee exactly once. But uh, in our case, uh, we figured we'd rather drop it than sending it multiple times. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting strategy because I've seen that used many times. In fact, the Event Hub's client uses blob storage and it, it gets leases on the blob storage uh, to figure out how many concurrent readers it can use. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just funny how blob storage is so foundational and has these like these properties baked into it, and then you can just piggyback on that. So I think that's that's just a, a novel use of uh, blob storage. 
And it was actually a, a very convenient, uh, very convenient mm -hmm. implementation. A few lines of uh, C sharp code that solves a very fundamental problem mm -hmm. in distributed applications. Right? You mm -hmm. need to reach consensus about yeah. a uh, about a state. Yeah. Right? Has it been or has uh, the delivery been attempted yet? Mm -hmm. And uh, with a uh, simple call, create blob if etext does not exist. Right. That is uh, guaranteed for the application. Check mm -hmm. mark done. Yeah, push that problem on to somebody else. I love it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> that is the beauty of being an application developer. Yeah. Right? Infrastructure developer have nowhere to push it. Well, it's it's interesting. Like the the thing we talked about in the beginning was kind of the evolution of how you build applications like this. And I mean, I'm just thinking ten years ago, like how would we have built this? And obviously. Um, it, it, it wouldn't be like tremendously difficult. Like I, I think it's a, a nice problem that we can all wrap our heads around. But ten years ago, we would have built this completely different. I mean, it would have been like a C sharp application, and um, I probably would have done pretty much everything in the in the database as far as like tracking emails and things like that. Um, you know, I'd run into re really weird scaling issues because mm -hmm. you're going to get tons of traffic right whenever you send an email. And then you're gonna have to scale back down somehow. So I'd have to like really over provision. Mm -hmm. I'd have to buy probably some beefy server to do this. Um, I can't even think of all the problems that I'd run into. In your case, you're just like, oh, we threw Azure Functions at it. It handled that for us. We need to figure out concurrency, so we use Blob Storage, and that solved that for us. We use Cosmos DB. Like I, I think it's just a. It really is like a, a match made in heaven for this. You know, at least for this particular example. Um, of how it just really simplifies your life as a developer. Mm -hmm. Yes, for this, uh, for this application, uh, absolutely. We also came uh, to a similar conclusion that without the um, cloud and uh, the cloud uh, development, mm -hmm. that um, you would not be able to um, deliver an application uh, like this either with the uh, uh, qualities and uh, non-functional um, capabilities it has mm -hmm. or in the amount of time, right? So because we still talk about two and a half developers, right? Mm -hmm. Two full-time, one intern. Yeah. Well, I mean, about a decade ago, I started a job at a different company and I had to write an application. And I said, okay, where, you know, where am I hosting this? And they said, well, let me know what you want me to order. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, and I'm dead serious. So like, I had to like pick out like the, it was an HP server that that I had picked out, and then um, I had to wait a few weeks. I had to wait like six weeks for this thing to show up. I had installed the operating system on it, and then I installed. Uh, I think I did some virtualization on it, and actually I had to go through that whole thing. I mean, like that process took me as long as it took you for you to do the whole application. Obviously, concurrently, <laughs> I was able to write the application. It's but. interesting because recently <laughs> I was talked to a partner, uh, their data center, mm -hmm. and they said make a requisition for a VM. And yeah. It takes about five days to get a VM, and I'm saying, <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, so, to, to have this concept of, oh, I just have a function, and it just works. Well, it's yeah. magical to these people. And what happens when the requisition is denied? I mean, I've had that happen. It might take two days to know I, that it's denied. I was at a different giant megacorp that will shall remain unnamed, <laughs> but I needed $100 to finish like this critical, critical project, and it was denied. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, it, was just the, it was the craziest thing. Um, so it's nice being able to take this in your own hands so like this. Let me tell you a, a little um, anecdote about um, how the application is actually able to scale. Sure. So um, we, we scaled the application way beyond the intended limit. Mm -hmm. 
Um, thanks to um, <laughs> Azure Service Bus and okay. uh, Azure Service Bus queues and dead letter queues. Mm -hmm. So we have the Azure Service Bus queue, correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, after the Azure function uh, retries, or after the environment retries to call the Azure function, um, I believe default five times, right? It will move the uh, message to the dead letter queue. Mm -hmm. oh. So then on the dead letter queue, you can actually again register an Azure function. So we had an Azure function registered on the dead letter queue <laughs> to push a notification that we have a dead letter to Microsoft oh, Teams, okay. right? So then we, <laughs> then we would see it in uh -oh. Teams. This sounds, uh -oh. this, this sounds, <laughs> sounds bad. So what we did not realize is that once a dead letter queue function, uh, I'm sorry, once a dead letter queue message cannot be successfully delivered, mm -hmm. it is again being pushed on the dead letter queue mm. on the same one. <laughs> so we did have a bug mm -hmm. in the Azure function that handles the dead letter queue. Mm -hmm. However, we did not notice a bug. And uh, we also did not expect any messages to show up in, in Microsoft Teams because a, a dead letter message mm -hmm. was supposed to be a rare event, which it was. It was a very rare event. However, eventually it happened. So you found oh, out the scale of Teams? <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, we found, we found out the scale of Azure Functions because we had one message. Or actually, we had like a handful. Uh, we had a handful of messages in the dead letter queue that just kept on that just repeating. So you, repeating so you, you actually discovered uh, an amplification attack for for doing DDoS attacks. <laughs> um, well, the application itself was not DDoSed. My yeah. wallet was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the application itself was uh, was not DDoSed. Yeah. Um, we did actually uh, we did do um, a post mortem. We had, uh, I do believe, over 500 million invocations wow. of the Azure function. <laughs> yes. the, uh, the and that's just because of the dead letter queue? Yes. Oh. Which, is, um, which is like $3, by the way. <laughs> that is, is true. true. Uh, we and uh, about uh, investigation showed that about 400 virtual machines were deployed just for this function okay, <laughs> in order to keep executing. Right. Okay, so it scales well. <laughs> it scales very well. We did not notice because the uh, application itself wasn't affected whatsoever. <laughs> right. So we only noticed uh, the next morning when uh, when uh, application insights uh, notified us about a sudden spike in yeah. execution. Yeah. Well, that's good though. Was good. Yeah. yeah. But which was uh, uh, it was a surprise. Yeah. But absolutely, the application uh, or the Azure function scaled well, and the application was not uh, affected. And we did learn a valuable lesson that is just set an upper bound limit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Dominic, we talked about stream analytics, uh, but I think you're also doing a lot of other analytics on the data coming in. Uh, is that already there, or is that being planned? Uh, we do some. Um, so most of the most of the analytics happen uh, online and okay. in uh, real time okay. to uh, provide the uh, feedback uh, right away. We do have um, some uh, data processing. For example, when an email uh, comes in, okay. we have a few or a newsletter comes in. Right, we have a few Azure uh, functions that process these newsletters. The newsletters are stored in the Azure Blob Storage. 
And for an email that comes in in an EML format, we generate an HTML file um, in order to show it as a preview on our web interface. And uh, these are um, Python functions. Uh, these uh, Azure functions are oh, implemented yeah, you were, in Python. You were talking about that as well, yeah. Because batteries included. Whenever you want to parse an email, you use Python. Okay, right? that's good to know. That uh, yes, we did also. Learn Actually, I, I think even almost the the more important point here that I didn't really even think about before was, you know, there's there's this uh, magical world that I always think of where I'm writing my code. I'm in Visual Studio and I'm writing like some C sharp code, and then I'm like, you know, I I need to process this other thing. So I, I wish I could switch into Node.js and then. Oh, I wish I could switch into Python. But Azure Functions basically opens up that world to you because you can have a function written in one thing. Oh, I need to parse an email message. So now I'll spawn out to Python and it can do its thing and then send it back over or do whatever. And the bindings are pretty much the same no matter what language you use. Yeah, yeah, because you mentioned most of the functions are in Node.js, correct? Uh, actually, most of the functions uh, in the core of the application are in F sharp. Oh, okay. And uh, some peripheral functions, uh, especially around the clickstream analysis, mm -hmm. uh, some peripheral are in uh, Node.js. Okay. So then so some are in Python. F sharp, you have C sharp, you have Node.js, and Python. That is correct. Okay, amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that <is> <laughs> Normally, that seems like it'd be like a nightmare, but I mean, it's it's got to be fun, like posting a job asking for all five of those, but. And it, it's being used with the same team of two and a half. They're all mix and matching. Yes. Without correct. any conflict of. Uh, you know, frameworks or tools and... No, no. So <laughs> uh, we, we, we had, uh, especially with the, with the possibility to actually choose um, for, for individual parts of your application, choose your technology stack without regret. I mean, yeah. nobody complained about that. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> and the tools, in terms of tools, are you just using the portal or using through Visual Studio? What's the preferred way for your team? Also, uh, in general, I want to say that in our team, uh, we do not we do not demand a certain tool set, okay. nor do we demand a, a certain uh, workflow. Mm -hmm. uh, however, um, most of the team gravitates around. Well, most of I was going to say there's two and a half. So one and a half gravitate toward. So, <laughs> well, basically, two uh, gravitate around Visual Studio Code, and okay. then we okay. usually okay. convince the intern. Just give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> but if the intern wants to use Vim, they can totally use Vim. Okay. And uh, so we use that as our IDE, and okay. uh, we have a, a simple GitHub um, workflow. So uh, the uh, Azure functions are uh, hooked up via the deployment settings to the GitHub repositories. Right. However, we also, especially uh, for uh, exploration, and uh, for air, uh, experimenting, we also use the in-browser uh, Visual Studio code that's available under the app services. Okay, very cool. Now, we, we talked a ton about like the good and, and all the great technologies you used, but I, I wanted to see if, the, if we could talk about the bad. Um, I don't know if there is bad, so I'm kind of just fishing, but um, is there anything that, that's top of mind that like just didn't work well, or did you go down any technology paths where you started using something, you're like, okay, this is not good for this problem? Well, um, of course, uh, since uh, as we talked about in the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. We uh, we did not um, we did not have any previous experience with uh, Azure. Mm -hmm. So I want to say that uh, we did uh, take um, 
uh, detour or a wrong path here and there because we needed to uh, we needed to see about the uh, mm -hmm. about the capabilities and the uh, properties of the individual uh, services okay. so for example you can choose from Azure uh, storage queues you can choose from the Azure service bus right. and then you also have the event hub right mm -hmm. and while at first glance all of that may look very similar right you have to actually find out what the what the details are Right. And then once you know that, then it is fairly straightforward again to actually apply it to the problem at hand because then you can think through the problem and know this lends itself to the storage queue, this lends itself to service bus, or this is definitely event hub appropriate. But uh, of course, that comes with a learning curve. Right. And um, other than that, uh, most of the uh, challenges that we faced are uh, inherent to the to the fact that we chose the path to go down a distributed application. Okay, so I know that you're actually using this internally. Do you consider it done? Are you moving on to something else, or are you continuing to add features to it? Uh, well, that always depends. Um, who, who you're mm -hmm. asking, you ask our end users, they say more, more, more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you ask uh, our boss, he says less, less, less. Yeah. So, but uh, we are definitely um, moving forward uh, with uh, MailWave. So okay. one, of the, one of the current changes uh, we implemented was uh, to have actually more um, information about the geo information of our recipients mm -hmm. so we with the graph api we hook into the address book uh, we resolve um, mailing lists of the individual mailing lists we count uh, the re uh, the recipients mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what regions they are in and we collect and store this data now as a preparation to uh, use some machine learning to actually predict for example the best sending times for an email to get mm -hmm. the highest uh, highest engagement at SAP, and for that, we have the uh, we we will um, introduce a connection to Azure ML um, soon. At least that's okay. a plan. so that's in the works right now. That is in the works. Okay. Correct. Another feature that I've heard I've heard people propose this like um, internally and not not on like the Outlook or Exchange team. So don't take this as like official, <laughs> um, you know, like roadmap. But I've heard people like. It, within within the building that I work in, uh, mention like, hey, you know, Outlook. Whenever you send to a big distribution list, it should tell you like the cost of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, like it, it's estimated to take five minutes of everybody's time, and then take all their salaries and figure out what five minutes of what salary is. <laughs> yeah. So that's a that's a feature idea for you. So whenever you send it to the entire company, you can say this will this will be you know. I don't know, fifty thousand dollars worth of time that you're you're about to take. <laughs> yeah, something we ignore, like what time people are spending on this stuff, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The, that interesting thing, Dominic, you mentioned, uh, I think around lunchtime, that uh, yeah, it's being used for SAP's work-related stuff, but also some other interesting cases. Uh, can you talk about that? Well, yeah. yes, we do have okay. uh, we do have some uh, usage uh, where we are uh, as a, as a team just happy because it is um, it is uh, just a. Um, cute way to use the application. So one of our colleagues actually uses it to manage his uh, theater group, who is right. partly uh, SMP <laughs> employees, uh, partly uh, his friends. And uh, one of our colleagues in India actually used MailWave to uh, manage parts of the invites for the invitation for his wedding. Okay. 
<laughs> there you go. So it can be a party software, right? Can, can I have it? Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Most of it is, of course, serious business. Sure. Um, anything else you wanted to mention or any other questions, Prashant? No, I think that, that looks pretty good. Uh, we talked about the future plans. Uh, you know, so what are the big learnings from this and are you using it in some other applications you're working on? Yes, uh, if we uh, if we get the chance, we will definitely uh, consider using um, Azure in the future. Our um, working with Azure has been very pleasant. So, um, but of course, it always depends on the uh, on the application and the use case at hand. Uh, whether the intersection of uh, use case and uh, technology uh, lands square on Azure, but for Mailwave, it definitely did. Okay. Good Very cool. Yeah. So uh, where can people find you? Are you on Twitter? I am not on Twitter. Not on Twitter. I am <laughs> not on Facebook. You're, I you're am off, on, the, off the grid. I am on LinkedIn, but okay. that picture, I have more here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they can find you on uh, LinkedIn. What about you, Prashant? Can people find you yeah, online? on LinkedIn. That'd be good. Okay, you can find Prashant on LinkedIn. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash ytechie. And uh, Dominic, thank you so much for coming on and talking about MailWave. And thank you, Prashant, for stepping in for Carl. Thanks for having us here. Yep. Thank, thank you very, very much, much for having Thanks us. for making the trip. Uh, appreciate that, uh, Dominic. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> that, that must be one of our listeners. They're super excited to... Uh, <laughs> Are there questions? Are there questions <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> Hello, caller. <laughs> I'm not uh, editing that out, by the way. Oh, uh, no, come on. <laughs>